and welcome to Thriving Educators. I'm Brian Langley. In today's conversation, I speak with Jennifer Smith, a first grade teacher with 26 years of experience. Beyond the classroom, Jen is a first grade content area leader, teacher, mentor, and member of multiple committees. And just to give you a sense of the type of person we're dealing with here, Jen was not only Novi's 2014 Teacher of the Year, but has recently qualified for her fifth, that's right, fifth Boston Marathon. In this conversation, we discuss how she is able to have such a powerful, positive impact on her students. Enjoy. Jen Smith, hello, how are you today? Great, how are you, Brian? I am doing really good. It is beautiful outside and I am feeling that energy. Oh, I am too, loving it. So every year of schooling is important, but the early elementary years seem especially important. You teach first grade. You have a reputation for helping students build a strong foundation. I wonder if you can help me understand how your classroom is able to produce such a profound impact on so many students. What's your approach? Well, in terms of making a profound impact on my students, there are a few things that I think are really important and things that I'm very intentional about. One being just building a strong and positive relationship with my students. I think that is the foundation. Two, creating a positive classroom community. Three, using data to drive my instruction. Four, if a student is not progressing, I really ask why and do everything I can possibly do to help that student grow and succeed. Um, Five, just having high expectations for every student. And lastly, making learning fun. So I love that your approach is a list and we need to, I think, break down this list to really dig into the weeds a little bit more on how you find such success. You said the foundation is creating positive relationships with your students. Can you talk to us about the approach you have to pulling that off? Yes, absolutely. So I really take time to get to know my students. I learn about their interests. I learn about their families. Uh, In first grade, since they're so young, I start out by sending home a family questionnaire for the families to fill out just so I can learn more about them. Early on, we decorate our writer's notebooks with pictures um, of things that we love and things that we really care about. Um, I also request pictures throughout the year of special events, maybe sporting events, a new puppy, a camping trip um, that, you know, students can share even throughout the year. If I can go to their events, you know, I I love doing that. It's been, you know, difficult this past year, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then I also have even a family bulletin board and I have them bring pictures of their families and we talk about our families Um, and I really just talk with them show interest in their activities even in their food and their different languages their names what their name means um, different holidays they celebrate and also just even through their personal narrative stories they write small moment stories about themselves and just um, being in tune to those and asking questions about them and having them share and elaborate are all ways that I really um, 
really get to know my students. They, I just feel like students really need to know that we deeply care about them and that they're important. An educator once told me, if you can get your students to fall in love with you, you can get them to do just about anything. And that's really stuck with me um, because I really believe this is true. Um, I see that number two on your list is creating a positive classroom community. You were just talking about creating positive relationships, I imagine that that goes right into that then. Absolutely. So in our classroom, we're a family. We respect and support one another and celebrate our differences. And we learn from each other. We work together to achieve classroom goals. Um, So I really believe in, you know, teaching the kids how to give each other a chance to think, giving them think time and respecting that, um, making sure that every child has a voice. We do a lot of thinking routines um, just to make sure, you know, everyone is engaged and everybody's ideas are shared and important. We we really talk about listening with our eyes, our ears, and our hearts when we listen to one another. Um, and I believe we talk a lot about having a growth mindset and the power of yet. We might not know how to do something now, but in time we will with practice and it's really even more than just a classroom culture but at VO it kind of you know flows through the whole school because we use the seven habits in our villas and then we have a heart acronym that we that is part of our school-wide culture um so H is have a growth mindset, E, empathize and show kindness, A, act responsibly, R, respect everyone, T, team up and collaborate. So this language is just not only a part of my classroom, but our whole culture. So the, the kids see it from and hear it and use this language year to year. Um, so it's, it's really our goal to develop a cum- community of leaders. And I want my kids to feel loved and accepted as well. Okay, so I also have, or I'd like to think of my class as a community working towards shared goals, uh, but I teach high school, so I'm curious what that looks like in first grade. Uh, I think our favorite classroom goal is our complement chain. I, I hang a paper chain from our ceiling and add another link to the chain every time our class receives a compliment for making good choices and demonstrating leadership skills. So this might mean walking nicely in the hallway or being first to line up at lunch, maybe during class showing amazing class engagement and participation or doing a great job demonstrating teamwork. Um, So when the class, when the chain hits the floor, we earn a compliment party. So that might mean pajama day or beach day. I usually let the kids vote on what party they would like to plan. So that's always a fun one. Um, We have several chains that you know, are ongoing throughout the year. Um, And then I also have a data wall. So I post our unit math assessment graphs, each unit to show how we're doing as a class in math. Um, And we, you know, we celebrate our success. And um, these are bar graphs that are colored as we master the concepts, you know, as a class. So we also focus on the power of yet, like I had mentioned before. And then uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, also on our data wall, we have like a reading stamina meter chart. Again, we color it in to track our progress as we increase our reading stamina. Um, This year we did a a really fun school-wide math madness competition um, to compete 
um, for the class with the most iReady practice minutes log during the month of March. So that was a really fun way to boost engagement. And then I also set, you know, different reading goals for my class each year and usually tie them in, you know, to a bulletin board to give them a visual um, of how we're doing as a group and usually um, incorporated into a theme each year depending on the year and the student interests. So these are just a few examples of how we set classroom goals in um, first grade, but I'm always looking for new ways to keep my students engaged and excited about learning. I feel like in my own classroom, I try to have that same mindset too, that we're all in this together. That is another way to create just a positive classroom community. So number three on your list is to use data to drive instruction. I am I'm really curious about how you do this well. Okay, well, it's so important um, when looking at student data, um, you know, just to focus on student growth because they're coming at all different levels. Even in first grade, you'd be amazed at, amazed at the learning gap that, that we see so early on. So um, I share this um with my students and we set goals together to allow them to take ownership of their goals. In first grade, um, I use uh, a lot of bar graphs and charts just so they can have a visual to see, you know, this is our target level, this is where you entered first grade, and this is, you know, the expectation at this point of the year, this is how many levels you've grown so they can see a visual and they actually color it in. Um, and they have little charts in math too the areas that um, that show where we need to continue to grow and areas that they're doing really well in. So um, it just helps to give them a visual so they can take some accountability. Um, and I teach them strategies to learn how to reach their goals, um, like time management. Are they using their time wisely? Um you know, putting first things first, just even staying organized. Um, we make that a part of our day, organizing our areas and our boxes um, and just keeping track of their time on task. They can even do that, you know, for example, when they're getting their I ready minutes in, we have certain goals where, you know, they need to track how many minutes um, they practice per day and they can easily track that using their iPads. Um, so again, you know, as we look at our goals and our achievement, we celebrate having a growth mindset and the power of yet. Yeah, I love that. So I think sometimes when people hear about data in schools that maybe they, they feel like that's cold, but it sounds like you're using it in a way that's motivational and gives the students uh, a sense of where you know, of their opportunities of where they're going to be going. Right. And just like I said, really focusing on their individual growth. You know, we just, we put a lot of emphasis emphasis on that, not so much where they are in comparison to everybody else, but just, you know, how much they have grown as an individual. Right. And so then that seems to lead into your number four, which is if a student is not progressing, ask why and do all that you can do. Talk to me more about that one, please. Right. I just feel like it's, it's our job to do all that we can to figure out the why. If a student is not progressing, there's got to be, you know, we just need to get to the bottom of it just to help 
them grow and succeed. So this might mean working closely with um, parents and families so that, you know, that's the first thing that I do is, you know, reach out to the families and, you know, just make sure are there basic needs being met? You know, are there sleep patterns that need to be adjusted? Is there nutrition on track? You know, you know, what are there? Are there family circumstances that maybe we don't know, but that could be affecting their learning or maybe some medical issues? So there are so many reasons why a child might not be progressing. Um, so, you know, the more information we have, the better. Um, I also keep really detailed records of, you know, supports and accommodations that I've tried, the length of support, the outcome, um, just my ob- observations. Um, and I, I try to keep, you know, a log of, you know, when I have contacted parents and have had meetings and things and what the outcome was. Um, And just being on top of the MTSS process, you know, just identifying students um, that are of concern early and working with school support staff to help support in any way that I can. Even, you know, collaborating with my colleagues, you know, for ideas that they might have. Um, So, you know, I just feel that that is one thing that, that I truly try to do is just, you know, if if a student is not progressing, do everything that I can to find out why and and do everything I can possibly do to help them get to where they need to be. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit more about you about how you um, manage the records that you keep and the the logs that you make for your students? Sure. So I use a combination of paper and electronic record keeping. Some important data is obviously stored electronically, such as iReady, writing pathways, reading scores, um, all of the district required assessments. Um, but on a daily basis, I'm a bit more of a paper pencil girl. Um, I use a class box chart that I created um, to take notes on students as I work with um students each day, either individually in small groups. I um, carry this around on a clipboard and every student has a box with their name in it. So I use it to record um, the targets I'm doing with my students, uh, the outcomes, the next steps for each student as as I meet with them. Um, So it also keeps me accountable for meeting with my students each week and not just focusing on the kids needing daily support because it's a visual. So if there are box not, boxes not filled in, I know I really need to meet with those students as well. Um, I also keep just a simple spiral notebook um, to keep anecdotal records as needed to document like specific concerns, like maybe medical behavior, academic concerns. And then um, I document phone calls, that I might have had with a parent or emails, um, strategies I've used, accommodations I've tried, um, and outcomes to all of these. And this is a great way to, it's a great reference when um, addressing concerns with parents or filling out MTSS forms or paperwork. Um, And then I also have what I call my master binder. So this is, this is where I store all of my important ongoing assessment documentation and it's just a really important binder that I keep every year so I make sure it's really cute and I look for um, just a fun one every year. Um, 
because it really helps me stay organized and allows me to keep track of my student progress and growth in all subject areas throughout the year. So my writing scores, my running records, my math assessment data, everything. So it's it's also very helpful when it comes to filling out, you know, reports and MTSS paperwork and things. So I don't know, keeping detailed records and staying organized is so important and it helps it helps me stay on top of my student growth and achievement and it also helps me use my data to drive my instruction. Okay, so I think that seeing when a student is not progressing, asking why, doing all that you can do to help them probably goes right into your fifth uh, on the list, which is having high expectations for every student. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. So most kids love being challenged, and I do try to encourage my students to challenge themselves in fun ways all the time. One way is through games. My math games I have in tubs and I I show them different ways to play it, you know, and this is a way if you want to make it more challenging. and they usually go for that. I do the same with literacy games. I even incorporate games with music and movement and they just I don't know, they just love a little challenge sometimes. In writing, I I put together some fun little um, mini lesson writing rubrics. I call them good, better, and wowza. (laughs) So I'll show them what an example of good writing, a student that has met the target. And I'll say, you know, this is this is good. And then, but wow, this one's even better. And I'll show them another one and, and give them examples of, you know, they added X, Y, and Z. So they met the target, but this is even better. And then I'll show them just a wowza, an exceptional piece and really talk it up and say, wow, but this example is wowza beyond first grade expectations this is amazing and you know they usually most kids they go for the wowza every time so that's awesome um, so yeah that it makes it fun It, it gets them excited and as i mentioned earlier i give them you know personal growth and achievement charts and graphs for reading and math and you know it's like i said a nice visual to help first graders see and understand their growth um, that they've made and and what they want to accomplish so th- those are just those are just a few ways but throughout every lesson you know it's important for us to have high expect high expectations for every student I would love to see what some of those wowzas look like from a first grader. That is that's that is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so in all of this, I think feel like really in everything you've talked about, there have been elements of making learning fun, and that was your that's your number six on your list. So, you know, you've touched on it a, a lot already, but go into that a little bit more, please. Okay, so so yes, like I had mentioned, um, you know, earlier that um, I try to incorporate games and movement, music, um, in any way that I can, creating just even cozy learning spaces around the room they love. Um, so I've done a lot of that. Um, and uh, turning turning learning targets, like I said, into games whenever possible. The, the key is getting to know the kids and the things that they love and trying to incorporate that in any way that we can. Even today in math, um, I noticed yesterday, I was kind of losing them a little bit during um, during our, our lesson. So, so today, we, 
we turned our math lesson into a game and I even just I know some of the things that they're really into right now so I created teams I had team unicorn and team sonic and team pokemon and team puppy <laughs> and um and we did we did a lesson involving um choosing a strategy to add and subtract and the engagement was just night and day from yesterday just giving them you know a chance to be on a team with a fun name they were just super excited about it so it was a really fun day so um and that's important too if i'm having fun they're usually having fun so you know it it works out for all of us <laughs> right yeah i can see how that would be and the also what i'm hearing is like yeah, you want to make learning fun, but but the key is while they're learning. So it's not like we're just having fun time right now. It's like you're making the learning experience fun for them too. So the the fun is also in the learning. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this has been great. This list is is remarkable, but you've been at this for a while. So I imagine that over your career, as you reflect on it, um, you've probably maybe evolved in certain areas. You probably weren't, didn't always have such a good command on all of this. I'm curious if you could help us, um, or if you could describe what ways you've, you've, your approach has evolved. Sure. So, well, Brian, everything gets better with practice. <laughs> and um, I've had many opportunities to make mistakes over the years, for sure, and learn from those mistakes to get better. Um, so along with just years of training and practice and teaching experience, I've also had three children of my own, and they've really mm -hmm. helped me understand that every child is different and unique and no matter what gifts or challenges they might have all kids need to know that they're loved important accepted and capable of doing great things so um you know there are certain teachers that come up in conversation at our house that just fill our hearts and make us smile just by hearing their name and talking about them because of the positive impact they've had on my kids. And I want to be that teacher. I really do. I just want kids to love being in school and love being in my class and love learning. Yeah, that that's great. I, I have three kids as well. And I remember when I sent my first one to kindergarten thinking to myself that too, like, I just want I just want their teacher to love them because you know here they are yeah. leaving us and heading off to school and um, that's a that's a great place for it to start. So this has been just a great conversation and as we wrap it up, um, I'm trying to to put together lists of like reading materials and recommendations from the the people on the podcast. So I'm wondering, do you have any reading recommendations on education that you could share with everyone? Absolutely. So I've loved being a part of our Cultures of Thinking Committee here at Village Oaks over the past few years. Um, Ron Reichardt's books, Cultures of Thinking and Making Thinking Visible, have been so valuable in helping me increase student engagement and make sure every voice is heard and to help my students just really deepen their thinking. Um, my students love participating in the different thinking routines I've learned from those those resources. Okay. Um, and another one is uh, Jan, Jan Richardson's Next Step in 
guided reading, it's also been a really valuable resource for me um, over the past couple of years in terms of providing very targeted instruction for reading, especially my priority um, students who are, you know, just struggling. Um, I was honored to have the opportunity to travel with some other Novi educators to Massachusetts a couple of years ago now for some additional training through a grant opportunity. So, um, yeah, Jan Richardson's, she has a very targeted systematic approach that has been useful in targeting instruction for my diverse learners. All right, thanks. I, I haven't read either of those, so I will be putting those on my list. And um, I'm curious, what's on your mind these days? Um, is there a particular problem that you're trying to solve? Is there something that you're working on? My greatest concern right now, I think, is just continuing to find find ways to close the learning gap that we're seeing, especially after being faced with this pandemic. Um, we just need to keep building those relationships with our students and families and identifying the student needs and using our data to help drive our instruction and help our kids get excited about learning. They've been through a lot over this past year, but at this point, I am really hopeful and confident that we're all back on the road to recovery. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel the same way there. Okay, Jen Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure and it was an honor to be here. Oh, please take care. <laughs> okay, you too. Okay, that was episode two of Thriving Educators. I want to thank Jen Smith for sharing her expertise. I'm looking forward to applying the power of yet in my classroom, not to mention the good, better, wowza rubric. Take care, everyone.